Welcome to the Readerly Report. Your hosts are Gail Weiswasser and Nicole Bonilla. We hope you will enjoy our candid book conversations, recommendations, and observations on the reading life. Thanks so much for joining us. So, welcome to another edition of the Readerly Report. Today, Gail and I are here to talk about March new releases. In looking over the list of what I had on my list when we did the spring preview, there were quite a few books that are coming out in March. So we will briefly mention those again to make you aware that they are imminently going to be in your hands on the shelves. And and then there were more that I found. So I'm excited to talk about that this week. Uh, plus, we'll have a little bit of an update on our March Madness challenge that will probably take place starting somewhere mid-March. And, you know, we'll talk about what we've been reading and a little bit of literary news as per our usual. So, Gail, what have you been reading? Yes. So when we last talked, I was mired in a lot of really, really dark stuff, which I know we had talked about, which was very unlike me. Um, So I'm still listening to Long Bright River on audio and I really like it. I know it's dark, but I really like it. And I'm finding that it's as much, you know, a story about the relationship between these two sisters and their family history as it is a, um, you know, a, a police procedural. And, uh, I don't know, it just, I'm finding it that it's a very involving story and sucks you in. And I like it a lot. I like her writing a lot. So I'm doing that one on audio right now. I'd say I'm about 25% finished, maybe 20%. And then because I needed something lighter or at least easier than some of the other stuff I'd been reading, I actually picked up one of the books that's on my list for the March preview, which is In Five Years by Rebecca Searle. Um, This book comes out on March 10th, and it's about a woman who lives in New York. She's a lawyer. She's got kind of her whole life planned out. And she is she has just gotten engaged to her boyfriend. And then she has this dream the very night she gets engaged. And in the dream, it's five years later, but she wakes up with another man and she's married to somebody else. So it's all about what happens in the intervening years And how does she get from point A to point B? Or does she get from point A to point B? So um, it's kind of like this weird mashup of two other books I've read. One is- I was going to say, it uh, sounds like that, was it the Colleen Hoover book you read? uh, Colleen Oakley. Her name wasn't Colleen Hoover, right. It does sound like that. So it's kind of like uh, You Were There Too, which also has a woman- who has dreams about the same guy all the time and then she meets him in real life. So yes, th- those two are similar. And then it also reminds me of One Day in December by Josie Silver, which I read a couple years ago, which is about a woman who meet- sees this guy, like sort of falls in love with him instantly, then never sees him again for a few years. And then he turns out to be her best friend's boyfriend. So there's elements of both books in this one. So that like I keep getting a little confused because I'm like, wait, I feel like I've read this before, but um, I'm flying through it. It was like the perfect book for what I needed at that time. I just needed something that I could just sort of immerse myself in that wouldn't be totally dark. And we we can talk about sort of um, dark books and <laughs> 
my relationship with them. But um, anyway, this one, this one is good. So I'm enjoying it and it's not very long at all. So it's a very quick read. And then I just got three books from the library in at the same time. They had like Uh-oh. always happens that the three show up at the same time. So I'd love to hear your advice on the order in which I should read them. Okay. So um, what have you got? Okay. So the first one is in the dream house, which I've been dying to read. And Ooh, uh, I really like that one. Oh, so you've, you have already read that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I was flipping through that last night and I was like, oh boy, this looks really good. So in the dream house is the first one. The second one is followers. And I think that's her name is it's like Megan Angelo or something. And she, it's a, it's, I think going to be our next um, book club read for my in real life book club. I've heard such good things about that. You have heard good things about it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Cause I've heard, I I think I've read mixed things. Um, It's sort of this like social media dystopia about the, you know, five years in the future and how like social media and influencer life has really taken over. And uh, I don't know, it looks kind of, looks dystopian, but also really good. And then the (laughs) third one is called Little Gods. And um, that one, I forgot who wrote that one. I'm going to look that up right now. About a mother-daughter relationship. Uh, Let's see. Meng Jin is the name of the author. And it is, just pulling up the... uh, pulling up the um, synopsis of it. A woman gives birth in a Beijing hospital. And then it's about the mother and the daughter, I guess the mother, they're living in China. Then the daughter moves to, the daughter grows up in America. And then she brings her ashes back to China. So it's all about her kind of like understanding who her mother was when she was living in China. Story of migrations, literal and emotional, spanning time, clear time, space, and class. So in an ideal world, I will read all three of these, but I would love to prioritize them. Right. Uh, Well, that was um, the, in the dream house was so good. It looks really good. I really like that. It's like, uh, they're sort of non-traditional essays or like slight vignettes into this woman's relationship, uh, an abusive relationship that she has while she's getting her MFA. Um, And there's like lots of references to, she analyzes her relationship through the lens of like pop culture films. She mentions books that she's read. Um, And each one of the pieces kind of stand stands alone as a, as a different kind of theme or situation that she encounters in the relationship. It's, it's different, but I, her writing is so just astute and I love that book. Okay. Followers I've heard, I haven't heard mixed things about, but I wonder if it's because, uh, people who I've, who have really enjoyed it, I think, are people who really enjoy social media. So it's kind of maybe not a fun look at it, but an interesting take on where influencer culture, you know, is headed. Um, Mm -hmm. 
Local gods. I feel like that's something that I wanted to read. Just want to look at it. Look at the cover to see if I recommend it. I mean, the cover is gorgeous. I feel like like it's something that I had kind of tagged. Yeah. I don't know if we've talked about it on the show or not, but I definitely saw it. It just came out in January. It's Local God. Little Gods. Little Little Gods. So, I mean, I, I, my goal, of course, is to read all three of these. Um, yeah. What do you, DC has this, I know DC is, um, right now. What do you mean? What am I into? Like, like, oh, like of which, what's, where is this sending me? Like, where is my instinct sending me for these three? Or, I mean, not that in the dream house is dark. It's interesting, but it is about an abusive relationship. Um, I think followers might be the quote unquote lightest of the three. Yeah. In terms of you're reading something really dark now. I think I'll probably do followers first just because I got to read it for book club and then I'll read in the dream house. I I think both followers and in the dream house are going to be, I actually think all three of these like are going to be only three week checkouts because they're all new, new and highly sought after DC has this, very dangerous policy of like this 30 day grace period. <laughs> so I feel like I could push it, but I hate doing that, you know, with me and library dates. So I don't know. Gonna, I'll see if I gonna can transgress a little. Let's <laughs> try not to. And I want to finish. And I also really want to finish long bright river before I start any of these. So we'll see, but that's where I am with my reading right now. And we can talk a little bit about ninth house, which I was supposed to be reading for our book club. Um, we can oh. talk about that now if you want, if, or we can talk about it later in the show. Up to you. Let's save that for a little later, just because we'll see how we do on time and Sounds see if good. we will discuss it in the show or even push it to our okay. newly selected book club pick, which is <laughs> Long Bright River. <laughs> Long Bright River. As we cast <laughs> desperately, like, what have yeah. we both read lately? right for our discussion so and I, I want to revisit that I think that's a good for me to take a look at some parts I mean I really love the writing in that book as you mentioned I think the writing is gorgeous and it is really about um the relationship between those sisters mm-hmm. and the devastation I think of that community yes um all right so oh. What are you reading? Since we last spoke, I finished Lot by Brian Washington. I really like that. Um, It's sort of short stories, but they are loosely linked. Uh, It is about this neighborhood in East Texas. The main person who we follow a lot throughout these short stories is um, a gay man coming to terms with his sexuality. I think his mother is black. His father is Latinx. and Um, so yeah, it's about how he just is coming into his identity. You know, he has an older brother, sister, older brother who is not very supportive of his lifestyle choice. You know, he has a sister who later on she moves and she marries a white man and sort of becomes estranged with the family. So I don't know, I would say maybe like five or six of the stories are, are following um, 
his his tense taught relationship with his family, you know, what their lifestyle is like in Texas, the neighbor that neighborhood that they're living in is slowly being gentrified. And, um, I think their family owns a restaurant. So there's a lot about whether they should sell, what should they do, what this means for their community. So we get to navigate his life as he comes out and he starts to experiment with relationships and start working and So I really like those. But then there are also these other pieces of either women or young men and how they're living their lives. Some live more transient lifestyles than others. You know, you get a lot of a sense of what it means to not necessarily have a stable home. Some people are living on the streets. Um, I don't know. It's just a nice as we talked about in our last show, when we were talking about people who have ordinary lives, um, it was, it was more that as opposed to, you know, I don't know, some privileged Texas billionaire or something. So those, those stories are really good. I highly recommend them. Um, and I also finished seeing Unburied Sing. I don't remember, like it escapes me if I had finished I was probably pretty close to finishing or did finish. I cannot recommend it highly enough. I think I had finished and we talked about Ron Charles having read it and how his wife listened to it on audio. It is so good. And I'm still thinking about those characters. Um, Her characterizations are so just spot on. And there are some, some characters in here where you do not feel like maybe you would have much empathy for. I think about Leone in particular, like she's a mom, but she's sort of ambivalent about her motherhood. She is, you know, kind of skirting on the edges of a serious drug addiction. And, you know, she yearns for her children. I think she loves them, but she's not the best at showing it. And I still think about her and have like so much, I guess, compassion for her, even though she is you know, as a, as a mother, I'm sure she's, she would be a problematic character for lots of mothers, but I highly recommend that. Um, I listened to the audio. It is excellent. So that's what I've been reading. Maybe this should be my next audio. Yeah. So good. Yeah. And the book's been on my shelf forever and I really want to read it. Oh, so you have the book. I do. Yep. I think I got it at Book Expo because it's an arc. Right. Yeah, I want to go back now and read Salvage the Bones. And, you know, Men We've Reaped has been on my uh, TBR for quite a bit of time. But just how much I enjoyed uh, this novel has definitely bumped, bumped everything up the list. So I wonder if this has been on my shelf for more than two years because then I can knock off the book that's been on my shelf for two years category for my um, reading challenge. Probably. It came out in 2017. Oh, then I bet it has. Okay. (laughs) That might might be it. (laughs) It's been kicking around. It's made the cut of you, several of your book purges. (laughs) Yes, it has. It has. I don't, it it hasn't, it, it, it hasn't been in jeopardy. Like that was, that is, had a solid, place right. on the shelf. Like, I'm going to read this or I am going to read this at some point. So your, point. your push might be what it needed. 
Uh, so let's get into our literary news. Okay. Do you have anything that ca- that's been catching your attention that's been buzzing lately? I don't think so. I don't. I don't have any literary news. I've been okay. kind of racking my brain, thinking back over the week. Um, this week has been dominated by lots of um, Democratic primary news mm. for me. So hasn't been so much on the literary front. Um, so I don't, I can't think of anything, although usually that happens to me. And then you say something and I'm like, oh yeah, that's right. I remember <laughs> that. So what do you have? So what do I have? Um, first of all, Roxanne Gay at the beginning of the year shared the list of books that she, everything, a year in, it's called A Year in the Life 2019, Roxane Gay's Year of Reading. And she had, you know, thoughts about her year in general, you know, things that she's been through, new relationships she's in, the travel she's done, some of her angst about reading. So what she, oh, we didn't say, I didn't say what I was reading. So I'm reading Girl, Woman, Other, which topped her list. She mentions it. She said it was her favorite book. Um, she really likes it. She said it should have won the Booker alone. I'm reading that right now. I I really like it. It's so easy to get sucked into these women's lives and it it's reading very quickly. So her second favorite book was a book that I have not read, but that I mentioned because I love Mar- Marcy Dermansky and she had written this book called Very Nice um, that I wanted to read, which I think was sort of about maybe a mother and a daughter who become involved with this college professor who lives with them Mm. in Connecticut Mm -hmm. or something like that. So she said what she loved about this book is that it wasn't trying to be universally loved. It offers a specific point of view and a distinct voice. You'll either love or hate this book, but you won't be indifferent. So I feel like that just got bumped up. And she listed out her other best books of the year, many of which either we mentioned on the show, chose for a book club or have wanted to read. So In the Dream House, which is under consideration for you, is on that list. The Other Mm -hmm. Americans by Leila Lalami, Queenie by Candace Carty Williams, which has disappeared somewhere and I still can't find it. Patsy (laughs) by Nicole Dennis-Ben, which I liked, but felt like I read it at it was a dark book at a dark time. <laughs> um, Severance by Ling Ma, The Tenth Muse by Catherine Chung, The Nickel Boys by Colson Whitehead, and How We Fight for Our Lives by Saeed Jones. Um, I'm just trying to look and see. Okay, so I love this category because it made me think of you. It's The Overstory by Richard Powers. So she labels it as a book many people love that was critically acclaimed, but I did not care for it. And me, and it made me want to never see a tree again. But I also recognize that it is well-written. I just, that book does not, <laughs> I'm never going to pick that book up. I, you I mean, said I know that, some, you said that someone great. had like put you to the point where you felt like you should read it. I mean, so I felt like I, I would share that with you. Yeah. I, I, I've heard a lot of people who read it be like, oh, it's so good. You have to. And I just, I, I, it's not, I can tell you right now, it will never happen. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Under the nope category, she put three Under women nope. by Lisa Tadeo. Oh, 
I feel that's so sad. Somewhat vindicated because I'm just like, eh. um, <laughs> Black Leopard, Red Wolf by Marlon James. She said a book that was very long, ambitious, sprawling, visceral, and overwhelming read, and also many people lied about reading it all the way through, <laughs> which was funny. So Evie Drake starts over. She put that on her note list. No, no, these were not books on. The only book on the note list was Three Women. Oh, okay. Okay. So she liked, she liked Evie Drake. Yes. She said a warm, absolutely charming novel that felt like fuzzy socks, a roaring fireplace, a good glass of wine and a soft hand to hold. Yeah, I agree. (laughs) Okay. So, and then she said about a book that I actually had under consideration for our book club, Real Life by Brandon Taylor, which I think is came out in February or is coming out in March. It's, it's release is imminent, but I was, what is that about? She said it was an exquisitely written novel that I wish would never end. I, the, I don't, it doesn't pop for me right now. I feel like it's like a gay man who works in, I want to say either finance or education or something. Hmm. I don't know, but it, it seemed like it was really good. I can't, quite remember the premise at the point. So uh, I found, oh, she, oh, Fleischman is in trouble, a novel about marriage and ambition and what men take for granted and how people in a relationship sometimes know nothing about each other or themselves. Would you agree? Yep. Yep. So she said about my beloved trick mirror that the essays ran too long, but she respected the work that went into crafting them. And uh, so definitely you should check this book out. I mean, this article out, it has lots of, lots of picks, things that we have talked about, books that we've talked about. And uh, I feel like I got a few new recommendations from it. Oh, good. All right. Well, I'll put that on the show notes. Um. And then the New Yorker had a piece on the, how Oklahoma is going to require schools to teach the Tulsa race massacre of 1921, which is basically, I think, um, incited by, I think it was a white woman said that someone either talked to her, approached her in an elevator or did something, but it incited the... In the town of Greenwood, it was like surrounded... And people were not allowed to escape. I think 300 Black people, residents in 1921, were killed. 10,000 people were left homeless. You, it's something that you don't hear a lot about. It. I mention this because it's one of the things that features as a part of Red at the Bone, Jacqueline Woodson's story about these two families who come together um, over, I guess, an unplanned pregnancy and and what happens during the course of these two families being drawn together. One of them is a family that has relocated to Brooklyn uh, after living through the massacres. I think the grandmother probably lived there and there's reference made to this is what she escaped. Greenwood is notable because it was a very wealthy African-American community. They called it like the Black Wall Street. Um, And it's something that's really never talked about. And I feel like that was such a subtle part of shaping that book and that experience of reading that book that if you don't know about it, 
I think that you kind of miss a lot of what's going on. So I think it's really interesting that it's something that has not been taught in history. And now that it's, you know, close to the hundredth anniversary of it coming up in 2021, that Oklahoma is changing legislation and making attempts to address this by rolling out programs for for teachers to help them in teaching this in schools. Because I think it's sort of been haphazard. Some people learn about it. Some people don't. Um, So I thought that was interesting. It was in the Atlantic. No. um, Was it in the Atlantic? Well, we'll link to it. I'll send you the link. Okay. I think it was in New York Magazine. So, yeah, that's my literary news for the week. That was those are my notes of interest. Yeah, I don't think I have anything. All right. So, um, how long have we been recording? Um, what do we want? What do we 24. Want? 24 minutes. 20, almost 25 minutes. Okay. So, why don't we now turn our thoughts to March and the books that are going to be coming out this month. How many did you find that you wanted to talk about? Well, I have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, but one of them is one of the books I just talked about as the one I'm reading. So six. Okay. So you have a pretty healthy list. So why don't we get into that? What are you looking forward to? All right. So the first one is called Separation Anxiety by Laura Zygman. Um, I read some Laura Zygman books a long time ago, possibly even before I was blogging, uh, but it's it's been a long time. And she wrote, she's written books about kind of different stages of life, like being single and early parenthood. And this one is called Separation Anxiety. It comes out on March 3rd. And it's about uh, a woman who's um, sort of approaching an empty nest, like she, she's got a teenager who now kind of ignores her, and she's got a husband who she's clearly uh, got conflicting feelings about, but it says she can't afford a divorce. And she writes articles for a self-help website, a poor fit for someone incapable of helping herself. And she puts her dog into her son's old baby sling, and I think it's just all about like that stage of life where you're not necessarily needed by your kids anymore, but you're trying to find purpose. So um, she's a very entertaining writer, um, very much in touch with kind of, again, the emotions that come up at different life stages. And it's really been a long time, I think, since she had a book out. So I, when I saw she had a new one out, I got very excited. So that's called Separation Anxiety. And I've it comes out on March third. She wrote. Uh, let's see, I'm looking on my shelf to see the names of the books that she wrote. Um, she wrote a book called Animal Husbandry. I think was one of them. Oh, that sounds familiar. I'm gonna look up uh, her her the names of the titles of her books. Let's see, Laura Zygman. Um she wrote Animal Husbandry, a book called Her, Dating Big Bird, and Piece of Work. 
Hmm. Dating Big Bird. Just, that sounds familiar. Yeah, they're very relatable books. This now, is what Wikipedia says. This one is um so this one that she's writing now is fiction. Have any of these been was Dating Big Bird mem- a memoir or was that fiction too? Um her first novel was Animal Husbandry. Um I can't tell. Hmm. I'm not sure I read Dating Big Bird. I can't remember. Okay, if it I looks did like or it. Not. Just looking at the cover, I think it's fiction. She describes herself as heartbroken, urban, single, post-feminist. <laughs> so she prompted her to write so other people would know that, quote, I am not the only loser in the world who feels lonely. <laughs> <laughs> She's very funny. So I will, uh, I'll definitely be picking this one up. I'm excited about it. All right. So I have a debut novel on my list called The Operator by Gretchen Berg. It is about a small Midwestern town. I think it's in Ohio in the 1950s. And there is a switchboard operator. So this is back when I guess phones were on a party line system and operators had to connect you to your party. And I think it was just pretty open. I think that you could hear the operator definitely could hear conversations. And I think maybe anyone could pick up and listen back then. I'm not quite sure. Um, but it's about a switchboard operate, operator who listens to people's conversations, except for one day she overhears a secret about her own family. And, you know, she's very upset by the secret. And she sets out to discover the origins of it and the, I guess, to verify the truth of it, because if this is something that's shared, it will be humiliating for her and her family. Um, there's supposed to be an element of classism in this. I think that the woman who she overhears sharing a secret is, um, she's a daughter of the town's mayor. So there is like privileged mayor's daughter against um, just middle-class working woman and what that entails. And so when she overhears this conversation, she recognizes the mayor's daughter, but she doesn't know the other person who, who is telling the secret or, or whom the mayor's daughter is having a conversation with. So uh, the story is supposed to be loosely based on the author's grandmother, who was a telephone operator back in the day. And it also has like I think 1950s recipes, maybe from her family, sprinkled throughout. So it seems seems like it'll be pretty interesting. Um, that they sounds com- good. Pair her to the the comps for the novel are Anna Quinlan, Elizabeth Strout, and Catherine Stockett. Hmm, that sounds really good. So, what else have you got? All right. So my next book is called The Body Politic by Brian Platzer. Also comes out on March 3rd. So here's the description of this book. New York City is still regaining its balance in the years following 9-11 when 420-somethings meet in a bar, each yearning for something, connection, recognition, a place in the world, and a cause to believe in. Nearly 15 years later, as their city recalibrates in the wake of the 2016 election, their bond has endured, but almost everything else has changed. Yeah, I have that on my so, list too. That sounds good. 
Oh, you have it too. Yeah. I mean, isn't that kind of an irresistible thing, especially for you and the me, four like friends. books about friends in New York City? <laughs> I know. Four friends I mean, I and their lives our, over, you know, from our conversation. College. Yeah. I was thinking back on our conversation from last week about, do we like to read about people like us or people not like this? This one probably, you know, is more relatable for us. But uh, yeah, I just, I don't know. This sounds kind of irresistible. This one so- also sounds like some books I've read before. Uh, you know, Four Friends, whether they're in London or New York, that whole premise. Um, it sounds like this is, let's see, the names are Tess, Tazio, David, and Angelica. So I'm going to assume that's two boys and two girls mm-hmm. or two men and two women. So um, I don't know. This one sounds really good. I don't know anything else about it. I just found it on a list of books coming out. Have you heard any buzz around it? I haven't heard any buzz. Um, I don't know. It just, it's, it's catnip. So. Yeah. I think too, that, uh, books about this administration, this presidential administration are starting to crop up. I'm thinking about weather by Jenny Offal, which I read first book of this year was basically all about like anxiety triggered by the Trump administration. And I think that we're going to start to see a lot more fiction that's dealing with this administration, people's response to it, how it has changed lives, um, you know, as the years go by. Yeah, there's a book that I read recently where it, it doesn't figure so much in the book. I feel like a lot of the things that we've read in the last year have been books where it's almost like a spoiler in terms of the election figures figures into their thoughts, but it's like anxiety over the election and then sort of shock that President Trump is elected is what I've seen. But I think that you're right, that we will start seeing more of, you know, reaction uh, that characters have good or bad to the new administration. Mm-hmm. I guess that's something that probably, you know, it seems like with this particular administration, it's exacerbated. And I think, you know, with the Obama administration, it was also exacerbated just because they were such, I guess, watershed moments that people mm-hmm. have more of a reaction to them. But I mean, you do get some references to, in books to, previous presidents, Bush or Reagan, Clinton, I guess. Mm -hmm. It just seems like it's much more pronounced in fiction now. Yeah, I think that's right. All right. So um, next up on my list is the the exhibition of Persephone Q. And I didn't look up the author for whatever reason. I don't have her name. I haven't even heard of this book. That sounds so like a title that I would remember. Right. Um, it comes out, everything comes out March 3rd. So <laughs> <laughs> just take your basket to a bookstore of your choice on March 3rd and just get, get everything. Right. Um, the Exhibition of Persephone Q by Jesse Jezuska Stevens. There's a mouthful of a name for you. Yeah. Um, it says it's satirical, which of course raises the little hackles on the back of my neck. It raises my spidey <laughs> senses as to, uh oh, um, set after nine one one. Um, 
And it's about this pregnant woman who no one knows she's pregnant. She hasn't told her husband. She's feeling disassociated from the world. This is giving me my year of rest and relaxation vibes. But she she doesn't recognize her husband laying in the bed next to her. And she's, instead of staying next to him in the night, you know, she's taking like these long walks or whatever. Um, So then she gets a series of photos that, and they're of a woman sleeping in a bed. And as she looks at them, she realizes that they are photographs of her, except for no one else recognizes that it's her. So it's supposed to be about, you know, identity in the digital age and who owns um, the images that, who owns our, who owns our image, you know, which I think was really interesting because I was just reading this article about either someone has an app or a platform that has basically just downloaded everyone's image into it. Like any picture you posted on Facebook, Instagram or Twitter or whatever, and how they are using it to, um, for different organizations to identify people. So if you ever had any profile that was not set to private at all times, this, this, uh, company man has vacuumed all of our our likenesses into, into software that's now being sold. So I think my mother was telling me about this. Hmm. I think we will continue to see lots of books, you know, both fiction and nonfiction that deal with digital identities, you know, privacy concerns, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Kind of like followers. Yeah. Okay. Well, my next book is called These Ghosts Are Family by Maisie Card. Also comes out on March 3rd. (laughs) So this is a book about a man who faked his own death and stole the identity of his best friend and is now nearing the end of his life and wants to meet his daughter who um, doesn't doesn't know him, I guess, because he has been living under another identity. And so she is a home health aide who is showing up for her first day of work. And it turns out it's for him. So obviously he's orchestrated it. So it says that these ghosts are family revolves around the consequences of his decision and tells the story of the Paisley family from colonial Jamaica to present day Harlem and goes through all the different family members and talks about the consequences of his action of disappearing so many years ago. So. Family drama. Yeah, that sounds really good. Yeah. I don't know anything about her or anything about this book other than it sounds interesting. So my last book, I mean, I have a few others that I'm going to mention just because, as I said earlier, we briefly, or not briefly, we went into them in more detail in an earlier show where we previewed books from the spring. So I do want to mention that they're going out. So the last original book to this list that I have is called How to Be an Artist by Jerry Saltz. And it says that it is a passionate, indispensable advice for creative people of all types. Um, so apparently it's it's just, it's a how-to book. He's going to give tips on how you can harness your time, be more creative, different exercises that you can use to enhance that part of yourself. And, um, that was just interesting to me personally. So. Okay. Um, 
I have a few on here that we've talked about already in five years, which I mentioned in the top of the show. A Good Neighborhood by Therese and Fowl- Ann Fowler, which you have read and have talked about on the show. Um, then another one I wanted to mention is called Days of Distraction by Alexandra Chang, which is also fiction. It comes out March 31st, so end of March. And this is about a woman. It's It's fiction, but it's probably got some autobiographical stuff in there. A staff writer at a prestigious tech publication who reports on Silicon Valley billionaires and startup bros. And then her long-term boyfriend decides to move to an upstate New York town for grad school. So she decides to cut and run and get out of California. So it's all about her identity, um, her role in an interracial relationship, and the question, what does it mean to exist in a society that does not notice or understand you? Oh, yeah. I had that on a broader list. That sounds really good. Yeah. I thought so too. And then one other one I quickly wanted to mention was by an author that we actually just talked about. Um, This is also March 3rd. It's called The Two Lives of Lydia Bird. And it is by Josie Silver, who wrote One Day in December. So that's one of the books I said that was reminding me of um, In Five Years, which I'm reading now. So this is about uh, a couple... Lydia and Freddie. And then on Lydia's 28th birthday, Freddie dies in a car accident. And so she's devastated and mourning him. But then there's something, says something inexplicable happens that gives her another chance at her old life with Freddie, a life where none of the tragic events of the past few months have happened. So it sounds like there's kind of like these dual lives happening. One life is her reality and one life brings her back. So there's clearly some, you know, something in here that's that's more fantastical than, um, or magical realism, I guess. for books like that, I have to say. <laughs> I know. I mean, how can you not be, right? The sliding so, doors, sort of. hmm To what ifs. hmm Things like that. Yeah. So since I've, I liked her One Day in December by Josie Silver, so this one looks kind of a bit irresistible. So did you have anything else? Well, the only other one on the list is one that either is, yes, I think is going to be on Book of the Month, March selection, or at least is predicted to be. And it's Writers and Lovers by Lily King, which I've been seeing around. I know that, I think that Catherine, somebody read it and loved it. I don't remember if it was Catherine at Gilmore Guide, or it could have been... Uh, novel visits. I can't remember another blog that I follow, another podcast or a blog that I follow read this and loved it. But then I feel like Sarah from Sarah's Bookshelves started it and was not crazy about it. But it's by Lily King and it's about uh, a writer who has showed up in Massachusetts in the summer of 97 without a plan. She waits tables in Harvard Square and works on a novel. So it's kind of all about how to sort of recapture her creative spark. And then, oh, then she falls for two different men at the same time and her world fractures. So uh, I don't know. I've read other books by Lily King before. Not all of them, but I know I've read at least one, possibly two, and I liked them. So I think I might look at this one when book of the month comes out. And you and I need to plan that better. So we don't, we don't keep picking the same book. Right. 
Um, what, what have you read by Lily King? Oh, she wrote Euphoria, which I really liked. Oh, she wrote Euphoria, which I did not read and that I have and I want to read. So I'm glad to hear that you say that you liked it. Um, she wrote, I'm just pulling up. This was a long time ago, like before, probably before I was blogging or in the early years of blogging. Let's see. What else did she write? Um, Writers and Lovers, Father of the Rain, English Teacher. English Teacher is the one I read. Father of the Rain, I believe, is about alcoholism. Mm. I could be wrong about that. I th- it was definitely the English teacher was the one I read. I think and I want to say maybe that was her first. I'm just looking her up right now. Sorry for the typing. Um, so I, this sounds kind of compelling to me. And I think that when book of the month comes out, I'll probably pick this one. Assuming that this is on it. Yeah, that sounds really good. Yeah. A lot of good stuff coming out. Did did you hear that publishers are front loading their books for 2020 in like Q1 and Q2 because they don't want to be competing with election stuff in the second half of the year? Um so you mean books that are coming out like they've moved up publication dates to be oh, in the first part of the year because they think people are going to be too distracted in the second half of the year. Um, I think that's a very real possibility. Oh, here's the other one I read by Lily King, The Pleasing Hour. That was it. I think I read Pleasing Hour and English Teacher and I did not read Father of the Rain or Euphoria. Right. Um, I don't know. I think I heard someone, maybe it was Sarah who said that. And I'm kind of curious because it does seem like there's just so many good books coming out right now. And I wonder if that's typical or... Well, some of these I think were, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, maybe it was like a even far further reaching than just making the decision to pull books back. Because, yeah, this first half of the year, it seems like there are a lot more weightier books. Like I remember December... Uh, to about March, I usually associate with there being a lot of um, mystery, like domestic thrillers, like a heavy kind of mystery season, psychological thriller season. And I do feel like there are, I guess, weightier fare. Mm-hmm. We, like we've talked a lot about a lot of really good books. Yeah. So it's quite possible and that makes sense to me because as you said, you know, early, you haven't been paying much attention to literary news. There's so much going on with the elections. Um, right. It does just dominate everything. Everything is just kind of ramping up right now as, mm-hmm. as you know, it's the end of February and, you know, November is when we go vote. So, Yeah, and there's so many primaries and and I feel like with this election with so much at stake it's dominating not beyond the political news cycle like it's dominating everything it's, it's seeping into everything right right I mean not to use too old fashioned of a of an uh, explanation but it's dominating like every section of the newspaper it's not just the front page it's the style section and it's the business section because it's <laughs> There's just so much, you know, there's just so much to it. 
there's so much to, um, the implications are so big everywhere you look. So um, I just think that's interesting to know if it's also impacting the publication cycles of publishers just like, we don't want to compete with that. Right. Well, and really, what can you do? I mean, even things that you, you can move things back. I think maybe that will be helpful, but you know, some things it's very hard to distract from. Yeah. And, you know, I think reading can be escapist, you know, um, for people, but there, I feel like a lot more of fiction has been politicized lately. You know, reading about these deep mm-hmm. themes that resonate with, um, pres- you know, U.S. policy and foreign policy, and yep, yeah, I think so that's right. We might we may need to do a lighter book show, which <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really, which I think we did in the beginning of January 2017. We might need to revisit those engrossing books that just totally pull you in and give you a little bit of respite from, you know, whatever political, whatever political dramas are playing out across your own social media pages, as well as in the press. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay. So I want to briefly just mention some books like that I had mentioned earlier that are coming out. You mentioned one of them, A Good Neighborhood, which I think people should check out. Um, so also, The Mirror and the Light is coming out. I really should have mentioned this because it is on my list. It is the last in the trilogy that started off with, it's Hilary Mantel and the name of these, the books that she's written. Of course, is one was Bringing Down the Bodies, I think. Let me look it up. Wolf Hall. Mm -hmm. So The Mirror and the Light is coming out this month. I think this book has been rumored to have been coming out for the last two years. Like I'll see it. Publication date is listed or it's not listed. It's pushed back. So this is, we're finally getting the third book in the Wolf Hall trilogy by Hilary Mantel. Um, It, I think, takes place, it starts after Anne Boleyn has has been killed. Henry has moved on and he's married to Jane Seymour and, you know, expecting his first child, or maybe Jane Seymour has already died in childbirth and Henry is with the King, but it is Cromwell's like his last hurrah because basically Henry VIII got mad at everybody eventually. And I think that he was very helpful to the King politically in accomplishing his divorce from Catherine of Aragon, moving him on to Anne Boleyn and, you know, eventually getting him the wife who gives him his heir. But I think that they have a falling out. So I think this is the book where we see Cromwell get to enjoy a little bit of his successes and then it moves on to his eventual demise. So I read Wolf Hall. I read Bringing Up the Bodies. I I love them both. Um, so I've been really waiting for this. The Glass Hotel by Emily St. John Mandel, which Gail, I believe you mentioned in the spring preview is finally going to be out. Um, I really liked, what was her book that I really liked? Uh, Station Eleven. 
Station Eleven. So I really like Station Eleven. I had read another one of her books, I think one of her earlier books, and I I always thought she had a lot of promise as a writer. But I think she the, the one book that of hers that I had read before Station Eleven, she was writing a very ambivalent character, or not ambivalent, but um a very withdrawn character, a very um, apathetic character. And I have so many problems with people who feel nothing. So hard for me. So I'm really looking forward to this one. Um, you had also mentioned the other Bennett sister by Janet Hadlow, which is almost 500 pages, but we were very curious about because it looks like it's going to be another take on Mary of course, My Dark mm-hmm. Vanessa by Kate Elizabeth Russell is coming out. And Gail, I will send that to you this week. Um, okay. The Sea of Lost Girls by Carol Goodman, whom I love. I love her stories. They're always, I don't know, set upstate New York at some boarding school. There's usually some mythology aspect. Some teacher is studying some myth that plays prominently in the story. I love her books. Um the last quarter of them always goes spectacularly sideways, but the enjoyment that I get up until that point is such that I always read them. Coming up this month, we're going to have our March Madness book competition. So uh, we will be unveiling the uh, the bracket of yeah the seating of books that Nicole and I read last year, and we will let them duke them out to the finish find out what was the best book that we both read of 2019. I really love that we let you guys do our heavy lifting this year and have, you know, helped us um, rank these books in a way that we can more fairly pit them against each other. I mean, as I look over all the books still, I don't know. We we'll see, we'll see what happens, but well, well, I think that we may have more surprise in what gets knocked out in early rounds, which I'm looking forward to. Like maybe making more hard decisions throughout. Um, and I think that, Gail, we should revisit our, our criteria. So if there's any particular criteria that you want to want to be included, let us know so that we can consider it. I think last year it was, uh, will it stand the test of time? What else was it? I think that was it. You know, is this a book that we're going to look back on later and remember? And will it be a standout read? I think this year, maybe we should pick a different question to ask. We have three questions. I think that that's the one that sticks in our mind the most in terms of criteria. But we're definitely open to how we should consider these books. Like, so we should think about that a little. So we have homework. Okay. (laughs) All right. So until next time. Happy reading. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of The Readerly Report. You can find all of our shows on iTunes or at thereaderlyreport.com. Please join our Facebook group, Readerly Report Readers, where you can talk to other listeners about their reading life. You can also find Nicole at nicolebonia.com and me, Gail, at everydayiwritethebookblog.com. Finally, we'd love it if you left us a review on iTunes and told your book-loving friends about us. Thanks. Thanks.